Hello and welcome to We Are The University, a podcast about the people who make Cambridge unique. I'm your host, Nick Saffel. In this episode, we meet James Biddle, the headmaster of the University of Cambridge Primary School. We talked about the school's character and vision, how learning should always be joyful, how a trip to Nepal helped him realise that he wanted to become a teacher, and we also find out how he inspires the team of teachers around him. A head teacher is not just one person, it's a kind of the the amalgamation of all the people that have that, that I've interacted with, and the same with any human being. Mm. Um, so, you know, although, you know, we, we, I'm su- there's a success in leading the school, um, that success is a shared one. It's the people who've, who've, who've guided and nudged me and pushed me in the directions mm. that sometimes felt uncomfortable and didn't, didn't want to go. But, you know, the, um, and there are many people I could talk about. You know, Angela Tapscott, Pam Bernard, um, Alison Peacock, the, 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 my own team at the moment, my leadership team at the moment, are, are, are kind of inspiring people to work with mm-hmm. because they are very reflective and, and uh, go, out there, go out of their way to make it work. Um, but I suppose, you know, people like my grandmother, who's, she, was, she was Greek um, and she, she came from a small island in, in Greece. And when she was uh, 10, she was, you know, there was too many children in the family. She had to go and live with her sister in, in Egypt. Right. Um, so, you know, for a young 10-year-old to, to leave on that donkey to go to the, uh, the place of the pharaohs um, and to live, you know, a different life there during the war yeah. and then met my grandfather who came to, from, who was English, they came here, then they lived in Zimbabwe. Um, but, so that, her story of, of um, migration, her yeah. story of, 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 of poverty, of kind of the diversity that she experienced really has kind of, it's part of my kind of my habitus as, a, as, yeah. as James, as, as James, as well as the head teacher. Yeah. So my, my real interest in inclusion and diversities and, and, and kind of understanding that the kind of, that everyone comes with their own joy and suffering. Yeah. And how do we kind of respond in a compassionate way that, mm-hmm. that is, that is um, kind of trying to build community rather than separate. So she would be in a kind of inspiring one of my five. We haven't really talked about why you became a teacher. Where did that idea come from? Well, I never wanted to be a teacher. I um, was always told that you were very good working with children um, at, at any family events. I was always looking after the younger cousins. So I always resisted the idea that I was just, just going to be a teacher, as if it was a kind of a second-class job. Well, there's that just word, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. just a teacher. Just yeah. a teacher. Um, Where do you think that comes from? I think the Chartered College of Teaching, this new professional body for teachers, is trying to uh, establish a new, a new vision, a new, uh, a new vision for the profession. Yeah, um, and to say that we're a, a valuable and valued member of society, mm-hmm. members of society. Um, but I didn't want to be a teacher. Um, and when I when I left university, I won a scholarship to travel, and instead of just traveling around the world. I wanted to go and live somewhere and be part of a community, um, and you know, just looking at a map, I picked, I picked the east, and Nepal was there, and I like mountains, um, and found it's very different to Cambridge. Very <laughs> different to Cambridge. And I found I grew up in Kent actually. Oh, okay. it's still very right. different. Okay. Um, and found a charity that 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 brought graduates um, working with, um, in that case, Nepalese mm. um, graduates to go and work in in villages and schools, and I realised sitting in the sun having taught in a secondary school and a primary school mm. for a few months in, in uh, eastern Nepal, that, you know, I could actually get paid for doing something that was so enjoyable. Um, so I decided to come back to, to, 
to uh, do my PGCE and, and worked here in Cambridge to do that. Yeah. Um, and some of the people that inspired me, uh, you know, Pam Bernard, who was my P- one of my PhD supervisors, actually taught me um, as part of the PGC course in 2001. And um, she's been part of my kind of professional learning journey th- throughout throughout the time. When I did finish the PGC, I went to East London um, and worked in a couple of schools there. Um, the first class I had actually was, was the most complex and joyful experience I think I've ever had. How so? What was... Well, the, the class I inherited had had five teachers the year before. So that class had no trust in any adults. Um, and Angela Tapscott, who's a good friend who recently passed away and, and was my first head teacher, she said, just make sure you love them. Let them know that by Christmas time you love them so much that you're not going to go away. Um, and it worked because yeah. after Christmas we actually started learning something okay. you know, in terms of academic stuff. Mm. We'd learned how to be a community in the classroom. Right. One of the things I learned from her um, that I try to bring into my own practice now as a, as a serving head teacher is that she opened doors for me. She kept right. finding opportunities that would, that would keep me inspired and excited about, about learning and about working in a school. Um, so she, you know, when I said I wanted to take a group of children to Spain... She said, well, okay, let's, let's make it work. So she found right. funding. She, you know, we, we, we created projects. She allowed me, she trusted me to take children all the way to another country to do a creative arts project. Um, she, um, she invited me to become an advanced schools teacher in the school. So I was able to work not only in the school, but also in partnership with others. Pam Bernard also, uh, she, you know, Angela said, you need to do a master's. So I was excited about doing a master's. Pam Bernard then said, you need to do another master's and do it here at Cambridge. Um, and then after that, you need to do a PhD because it's a kind of constantly learning. So I've constantly, I've been kind of um, learning alongside being the teacher. Mm-hmm. And I think that has, has led me to be the head of a school that is about learning. Okay. Um, and, you know, the University of Cambridge Primary School is, wants to be a centre of professional learning. Uh, as well as being a brilliant primary school for children. What gives it the sort of university status if it's a primary school? What makes it different to another primary school besides just being attached to a university? So but when the government in 2010 um, decided to give the university, yeah. um, it, it granted the right to open a primary school as a university training school. It didn't really know, the government didn't know what it meant by university yeah. training school. It allowed us to, to, to create that. So we really defined that in three ways. The first is, to, and the most important thing is to be a brilliant primary school. Okay. The second is to be a um, to support initial teacher education, so new teachers coming to the field, um, and we do that with the faculty and increasingly mm. with others. Um, and the third, which is where the unique selling point is, is to be a research informed school, so principal yeah. our ideas on on empirical evidence, um, and research generating. So. Um, we're still on that. We're still very young. We're just over a thousand days old, yeah. uh, and so w- our main task is to set up a brilliant primary school for for the children yeah. who, whom we serve and their families. If I was to walk into the school, what would I see on a, a just an average day? I just walked in. How how would things be different? So as you walk to our school building, the first thing you'll see is a world map that really is a symbol of the, inc- the inclusivity of our school. That we are we are a school that has children from all around the world mm. um, and that we celebrate diversities within the school. Um, as you as you enter the, the main door, you'll enter the, the dining room, which is, you know, the heart of, you know, the kitchen and dining room is the heart of many people's family homes. Yeah, of course. It's the heart of our school. But you, you'd probably be struck that it's quite quiet and calm. 
and um, it's not what I expect of a no no but and yeah. um, it's it's calm because that that place there is becomes lively at lunch times yeah um, but all the the, the the from that from that that uh, dining room are clusters where children are learning in their classrooms mm. um, and as you walk through the to the first cluster you'll see you'll be part of a learning street you'll be in the learning street which is our name for a slightly wider corridor um, there are no doors on the classrooms. Mm-hmm. And some people say that's a kind of gimmick from the 70s. Um, but it is it is an intellectual decision because we want to be a trusting community in which people learn with each other and children can learn across the learning street and go into different classrooms. And that um, you know teachers um, can can step into each other's practice mm-hmm. in, in a much more fluid way. Um, but the learning street allows children to move into, the, into that space to learn independently, still be kind of monitored and checked that safe you know safety is, is fine yeah. um so the building has a sense of trust and flexibility in it mm. that i want to inspire my my kind of my team as educators um, and the administrators who support us um to make it you know what's into the, that kind of flexible possibility thinking is important mm. um you'll see children independent you'll see children lying on the floor um on laptops working together sometimes reading by themselves in a, in a nook uh, teachers but we engage in small groups yeah There'll be a sense of, I think the word that people often use is a sense of joy and a, a kind of positive, purposeful energy in this space. It's yeah. not rushing through education. Mm-hmm. It's about creating quality experiences that really provide in-depth kind of learning for children. And I guess uh, my thought when I'm thinking about that, if there's so much going on, do kids pay attention? Like, are they totally engaged? Do they find it difficult with there's so many things, if there's learning streets and no doors and do they... Does any find it difficult to concentrate or just thinking? Well, because we have a real focus on kind of mindful practice. Right. Um, for example, we, we start the day with children coming to the school and they enter their classrooms and they, we, st- we start with singing. So we sing for 10 minutes each day. Um, you know, singing is good for you. There's lots yeah. of evidence that says it, you know, puts air in your, you know, air in your lungs. It's a community building. Mm. Um, and then after this, after the singing circle, the children have a meditation or a mindful, uh, a mindful session, which is about kind of five, six minutes, um, and then it's, it's a sense of space making. We're coming together for this new for this new day together as a community, and we're able to talk about the responsibility that we each have as individuals, but as a as a member of a community in in a classroom, but also um, in a wider school, mm-hmm. and then you know at the wider community and then mm-hmm. the global community. So there's um, the kind of talking and thinking about that with children. So because of that practice, I think the children and our values are very kind of strong in, in the way that we we kind of work with children and manage children. Um, you know, the, the sense of empathy and trust and courage, you know, courage to take risks. So children say, they're not like to say, I can't do it, unless they say yet at the end of it. I can't oh, do it yet. Oh, interesting. Um, so children say, I can't do it yet. You're definitely um, instilling grit there. It's a, a yeah. sense of uh, that. And it's not a false, you know, it's not a false hope because no. you, everyone can get better at it. You know, yeah. you, know, you, know, you, know, you may not be kind of Pavarotti or, um, but um, everyone can learn how to sing. Everyone can improve their, their singing voice. No, everyone, everyone can be Hussein Bolt, but um, you can all learn how to run. Yeah. Though the children are still trying to encourage me to run better and faster. Right. Um, so there's a sense of grit there in, in the... Um, in the ether, so that I don't think mm. the children are distracted. I mean, children get distracted, of course. Yeah, of course. But the the culture that we're trying to create, and that's where my real learning from my previous school is: how do you create the culture first? Mm. Because if you create the culture and you get the right people, 
um, then then you, everything's possible because we you know we can learn together. Yeah, we can move beyond the difficulties together. The involvement from all parties must be so high. If, if joy is one of the key key things at the school, I mean, the, as you're saying, that my question is why why shouldn't it be joyful? Yeah. I mean, why you know why is a, why shouldn't a school you know shouldn't all schools be joyful? You know, it seems obvious that joy in in childhood is key in joy and mm. happiness um and with those with those factors in play then children are more likely to want to be in school and more likely want to learn and feel safe to take risks does this theme of risk taking also spread to the staff yeah so <clears throat> in a climate where you know um there's a shortage of teachers we we initially started you know recruiting teachers who um had the academic um, qualifications and who were excited about, you know, being researching teachers. Mm. Um, but increasingly, as the time, as, as the years have gone on in our school, and we're only joining, our, entering our fourth year, um, we because the values we have a values-led curriculum, um, the values of our school and the way we want to work are really important for us. Mm. So we're we're recruiting people who can demonstrate that they have experiences where they've live a certain set of values and can talk about those things and right. they can explain how they've how they've uh, been resilient and overcome become you know difficulties in their professional and personal lives okay um or people who who've shown empathy in in mm. practice or who kind of feel there's a sense of trust that we could build and trust is an important part of, of the school so there are five values that yeah. are part of our curriculum there are empathy respect trust courage and gratitude um, and uh, along all those things is that sense of humility. Okay. How do we um, get our egos out the way and say, well, what, what's going on for us and for our children? And how do we collectively find a way through for them? Mm. So where do they sort of come from? Like, where does the sort of strategy at day one, well, obviously not day one of teaching, but day one of we're going to build the school, where do you sort of start getting the ideas from? Where, do, where does that sort of thought process come from? Well, before I joined... Um, uh, Dame Alison Peacock and others at the university, um, they asked, the first question was, wh- why should a university run a primary school? That's, that was kind yeah. of important question to, to ask. a big one, yeah. Um, and then when they've, when the, kind of that was worked out, that the university could be contributing through a t- with a tangible example of how it, education research can, can make a difference for one community, um, when that had been kind of worked through, um, and looking at the Cambridge Primary Review, which is the biggest piece of research in primary education for, for a number of years, um, the question was, what would the school be like? What would it, what would it look like? And so the, from this mud field in the, the northwest Cambridge, um, ideas about the design um, that were looking again at research mm. that Julia Barfield, who, um, whose company designed the London Eye, they, oh, wow. they, right. they're, the, they're the architects of our school. Um, they they were very kind of intellectual about looking at research and looking at other examples, mm. um, historical and current, to what a school would look like. But a school is not a building, and although we have a lovely building on the edge of Cambridge, um, it's more about know, the ethos. It's, it's about what it's about the people within it. Yeah. C- community is about people, mm. um, and so um, when I was employed, uh, I had to start articulating what the vision, what the how the vision would translate into into the realities of, of classroom experience. Um, and having worked, having set up a school in, in East London um, with the Avanti Schools Trust um, th- that was um, had an Eastern Hindu-based ethos, mm-hmm. um, 
I learnt so much from being in that school because the, the values were at the core of, the, of their curriculum. And I saw how living a set of values that became shared in a community could create the, the right environment and space in which children can learn well and which teachers have a chance to, to um, tinker with their practice which is important, uh, you know, Hargreaves talks about tinkering with, with your practice. So teachers are, al- are, allowed to make ris- are allowed to take risks and play around with their ideas and practice to see okay. how they can make it better. So how does that work in practice, the idea of tinkering around but staying on point, staying within the curriculum? How do, you know, what flexibilities are teachers yeah. allowed? The sense of being allowed to do something is not the kind no. of language okay. we might use in our allowed, school. So encouraged. You know, tr- trust is... Yeah. Trust is an important feature. So we're all responsible. I have a responsibility. Yeah. We all, in our own in our own roles, have a responsibility to making it better for every child. Mm. Um, and that's the kind of the, the how we talk about our practice in school. But an, an example of, of how we um, tinker with our practice is through an approach called, called lesson study, which is um, Pete Dudley from the Faculty of Education has researched significantly um, about lesson study. So, the, you know, an example is I would plan a lesson as the head. Right. Um, I, some of my colleagues will then share that planning. They'll, they'll kind of add their ideas. I'm, the, I'm then going to teach the lesson with my colleagues watching me. Um, and then after that lesson, they, we kind of unpick, we you know, critique the lesson. Um, so there's the sense that the head is being um, kind of is risk-taking by yeah. being publicly saying, I'm going to give a go at this teaching I don't do it every day as a head. Um, and then we um, it's no longer my lesson. It's about the mm. practice. It's about what's going on in the learning between, uh, you know, that space between educator and child. Yeah. What's going on and how do we make it better? Um, and so modelling that to, to my team means that others are more likely to take risks and, and to feel encouraged and excited about finding out what's, what's possible. If you've, you've got this sort of sense of community and you've got obviously got the community within the kids and they're obviously enjoying what they're doing and then you've got the enjoyment factor through the staff and the teachers and everything like that. You've got the third element of the parents and how much, you know, how much involvement do they have with the school or how much engagement do they have? I, I think that out of all the members of our community, the parents are the most bold in, in taking the leap of faith in, in joining our school. You know, when they first when they first heard about the school, they saw me in a, in a shed on a mud field on mm. the edge of Cambridge um, and, and a vision and the, the, uh, the markings of a circular building. And they, you know, they, they took that leap of faith to say that this is where they wanted their children uh, to be educated. So they saw something different. They saw something in what we were trying to offer yeah. that was um, kind of a heartfelt and mindful approach to education. You know, the fact that, you know, an example of that is that we've just, we recruited last year a, a, senior, a senior role called Mind, Body and Soul. So this member of staff is responsible for, you know, explore, you know developing philosophy for children in the mm. school, um, the physicality of children and getting them to be having healthy lifestyles through okay. kind, of active, uh, kind of active work. Um, and kind of a notion of the, the sense of spirit, whatever that may mean uh, for, for different people. Yeah. Um, so that bringing everything together, you know, bringing those, the, all aspects of being a human being together, um, rather than just focusing on rushing through to a curriculum to get results at the end of, the, of year six. Yeah. So we've, we've always asked the question, what will they, what will our young people be like when they're 30 and when they're 20 and then when they're leaving um, primary school? And we need to be thinking that our responsibilities for the 30-year-olds mm. 
as well as the one the children in our care because I know there's a gap between primary school and being 30 yeah but if, if the evidence is true that the foundations of, of primary education set people up for you know, positive mm. uh, you know, lives and academic success later on then we have a responsibility to ask those questions yeah um, and we've done that several times and uh, with our with our families with our, with our kind of educating team um, and and with children you know what what would it be like when we leave primary school and what yeah. would it be like when we're older? And that's a sense of developing compassionate citizenship, not only for our community, but for the future communities that the children will go and live and serve. Yeah. And many of them will be leading their own communities. I don't want to say mindfulness captain, but the person who's mm. sort of responsible for creating all the activities and things, how do you sort of blend them in into the... Um... So we have we have a loose timetable, so right. because we have to manage, you know, covering people for lunch times and and mm-hmm. you know there are structural things that you need to have in place. Um, but as with the, the design of the building, that is has a principle of flexibility um, and kind of trusting relations. You know, it's about nurturing trusting relationships within the building. Yeah. Um, the fact that we don't have any doors means that you know no one can really hide. That it's about sharing practice and. You know that was that was brought out in a very positive way in a yeah. recent inspection. That no having nowhere to hide is actually a positive thing because we can learn better. Yeah. Um, but the, the the kind of flexibility of the of the curriculum is important and the and the timetabling. Yeah. Um, so for example, if a, if a teacher really sees that children are loving writing um, poetry or writing stories or writing whatever it may be, why stop them after forty minutes? Let them keep going. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, I trust the teachers to do what's right for their children and to kind of document and manage their time across the week so that, you know, the curriculum is, is broadly covered. Yeah. But there's in-depth learning and there's quality experiences happening for children. Uh, we've heard anecdotes from parents saying that, you know, the ch- their children have said, oh, we're going upstairs to, to do a, a, a five-minute mindful meditation. Right. And the parents are saying, I don't know what you're doing with our children, but it's, it seems to be working. Okay. Um, so... You know, they're very young children still, yeah. and we're only a very young school. But, uh, you know, the way that children behave is exemplary. I think it is, they are very kind to each other. Obviously, things go wrong in a school. Mm. It's, it's, as I said, any cu- human community, we make mistakes. And, you know, children are meant to make mistakes. That's the yeah. point of growing up and learning. Um, and how do parents and teachers guide them through those that mistake-making yeah. um, is important part of the learning as well as the academic aspect of course i know quite a few american universities have primary schools attached to them is the cambridge university primary school following a similar model to the american universities um well we purposely didn't look to other places initially we wanted we had a blank canvas so we wanted to say well what you know what's right for the uk context Mm. um you know Politicians often go and visit other countries, and they ha- they cherry pick what they think is the best bit of that education system, and they they kind of migrate it back to the UK. Um, and it doesn't always work. You know, the, you know, education con- is contextual. The Cambridge Primary Review talks about mm. the community um, curriculum. You know, the schools should design their curriculum based on where they are. Okay. Um, so, the um, we didn't we didn't want to go and f- look elsewhere initially. Obviously, now we're set up, we're going, we're going to want to learn. Um, we wanted to say, well, what, what is our university training school for us in Cambridge with a specific uh, kind of historic community yeah. being where we are? Um, and initially, you know, as I said, we're only, we're only three years old. We're going to our fourth year. 
our main responsibility was to make a brilliant primary school for children. Right. Um, we are now in a position, um, having now established and embedding our work, we're now in a position to kind of realise what the university training school could be. Okay. That's interesting. And I but guess, we're, but what we're not, we're not an experiment on children. I would, and that we're was not really my next question. Is how do you find that balance of yeah. you, you know, using research obviously to formulate good practices, then trying to do sort of the next batch of practices by using yeah. the school, I guess. How do you strike that balance? Well, it goes back to the the notion of of teachers as professionals who who tinker with their practice. Right. You know, we talked about you know I think Andy Hargreaves talks about teachers tinkering with their practice is about research. You know, seeing yourself as a researcher. Um, so one of my one of my teachers is doing a master's at the moment, and her her thesis is about um, how to improve um, boys' self esteem through writing. Like, you know, yeah. boys don't often like writing nationally. Um, and so she's she's exploring, you know, what's going on in her classroom. Why mm-hmm. why are some of the boys not doing as well as uh, as she wants them to do? Um, that kind of looking at research, yeah, playing with your practice, trying to put, putting something to, in in play, yeah, and see what happens is is one level of, of research. We're also working yeah. with um, um, colleagues at the faculty. So Dr. Fiona Main is lead researcher for a project about cultural literacies called Dials. Okay. Um, we, we're going to be working with her um, in in this project. There's a, there's a European-wide project that's looking at how do we improve uh, cultural literacy, so children's awareness of diversity across across Europe through literature, through right. wordless wordless li- literature. So that another example. So we are you know, the teachers are learning alongside academics as they are researching what children mm-hmm. are saying about text or visual, you know, visual text or, yeah. or, or multimedia. Okay. Rather than saying we're gonna plug you in to a machine yeah. and see what your brain's doing when you're playing, we're not doing that kind of okay. um, experimenta- experimentation on children. Okay, and then when you're taking the practices, how much time do you give that practice? Well, it's important that we you know, that we you know, ethically important that we can't mm. fail children. We can't let yeah. them let them fail. Um, that doesn't mean that teachers pre- playing around with ideas and mm-hmm. and, and they're you know they're thinking differently about their practice. Uh, you know, if you don't give it a go, how do you know it may not, it may not work better? Yeah. You know, um, but we wouldn't obviously trial it for a year and then say oh it didn't work and these children need now catch up for a year. That wouldn't that yeah. wouldn't be ethically appropriate. Um, so we you know we have a system you know there are structures in place within the school where we are you know, my leadership team and I and within the community itself are quality assuring our work mm-hmm. um, you know I have quality assurance of my work and my practice so it's about how do we you know high expectations and trust yeah um, so you know if somebody is putting um, you know role play into maths for example okay um, we will ask them to document their thinking and what's going on for children over a period of three or four weeks and then review right. to see whether it works but you need to give some time for things to to say they're working or not, yeah, because it'll take time for children to adapt. It'll take time for other colleagues to adapt. Um, but these aren't grand structural changes. These are again the idea of tinkering with the practice. Yeah, yeah, of course. When you tinker, you kind of nudge your way forward. You mm-hmm. you you make a small dance steps towards a kind of bigger yeah showpiece. Bigger showpiece. Oh, I totally understand that because you've given this sort of freedom to teachers as well. Have you found lots of ideas come from the teachers as well as? Um, from research, yeah. Or the t- the teachers 
um, who have read ideas or, yeah. or read something who will come to us and will come to I say us I mean the community us as educators yeah. not the, not me as a head yeah will come and say well you know this I've read this I want to try this in my classroom um, and is that okay which is is that okay to do that um, so we our job my job is and my, my leadership team's job is to question and to find a way where all the pitfalls will be yeah possibly and so that person has thought about it in the, in the most kind of intellectual way um, so for example my year one team has said they want to make year one experience more like early years right. so they put together um, a, a kind of a paper that, that demonstrated what the, what the research says about early early learning mm-hmm. um, they put a, a list of furniture that they wanted because they wanted the space to be look different. Right. And they, they gave me a timeline and how they're going to make sure that the children's experience and the standards will, will always be high. Um, so they, that's given the green light. And so they're going to go ahead with that. Um, now, they have the responsibility to make it work. Yeah. That's where the trust comes in. That, of course. You know, my, they know that my job is to make sure that it, the quality is high. Um, their job is to make it happen. That example of the, the year one... Um, to reception did you say is that sort of a something that you can visually see is that sort of just they're, they're like um, working in groups or is that i walked into the classroom to, um this morning and there are no there are no more tables and chairs in the classrooms okay there's a, there's a there's a couple of sorry there are a couple of tables but there are only a couple there's not enough for 30 children to sit at, at once interesting um so it's the, got rid of the uniform sort of yeah, style of learning. yeah. and yeah. so the the children the space is going to is going to will enable children to be much more playful and they're and um, much more like early years practice where mm. children are being taught on the carpet for short bursts of time and then they are independently um, working on activities inside and outside. Yeah. So you know, so I mean, just going back to the building, you spoke about you know what's special about the school. The, mm. the building, although it's a lovely building on the edge of Cambridge and it's you know it's well designed. The principles could be applied to any school in any part of the country. So the idea that uh, children could have access to outside learning, uh-huh. you know, even when I worked in a Victorian school in East London with three stories and I was on the top story, we were able to get outside because the head teacher said get them outside more often. So even though we had to walk down the stairs, the yeah. principle of getting children outside is is the one that could be applied anywhere. Yeah, the principle of independence, you know. Finding space where children can be can can learn without the intervention of teachers there all the time, is a principle that could be applied elsewhere. Um, and do you find because you've talked about the sort of um, learning corridor and the sort of breakout sort of rooms? Do you find that kids just navigate themselves toward those areas? Or is that the learning streets are learning um, streets? Yeah, sorry, yeah, the learning streets are um, have different activities within them right um and there are spaces that for independence so um, okay. some of the activities are timetabled in so um, okay because otherwise you could have 180 children in one space which is you know doesn't Chaos. quite work yeah um so they are there are timetabled spaces within the curriculum called playful inquiry right where children are in and out doing different things um that they're expected to achieve those you know, there's quite a high expectation. You can't just go and mess around outside, or you can, you know. Yeah, it, I just wonder if it needs to be this trust and freedom. Um, yeah, I mean, I've walked around many, you know, many times, and in, in the summer term, I really saw children completely focused. One example is that children were 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 um, travel agents, and they were they just um, designed their travel brochures. In year one, these are five year olds travel yeah. brochures. 
um, and they've convinced me which country I need to go to next okay. um, through their kind of presentation to me. And then when I was outside, it was a lovely sunny afternoon, and they were um, they'd set up an aeroplane. The, the chairs were out. They they were loading <laughs> things onto aeroplane. We're off. Okay. Um, now those children were completely engaged and in the space of being uh, travel being, agents, being no, being or, being stewards and stewards and yes. pilots and, yeah, yeah, yeah. and passengers. So when I was talking to them, I wasn't talking to them as ch- as children. They were in those roles, and yeah. it was impossible to get them out of the role. Okay. You know, and I and I tried to talk about other things. They, they, they were in it. So Just, they're yeah. learning something, uh, you know, and through play. Yeah. But they're learning about, you know, what it means to travel. They're learning about the sense of responsibility. And, and you know, when there was a big problem in the aeroplane, they all had to get their jackets on and they were, um, you know, it's, there's a sense of joy in the school that is, yeah. that is lovely to be around and, and a very kind of privileged to lead that community. Do those sort of ideas of joy and things like that come from, your previous experiences of schools or is it just you know something you've tried to instill in this in this school if you look on our on, on our website my welcome page says it starts with i love school and i love i still love learning and i think that's you know i found primary school and secondary school and university i just loved it i loved just enjoyed it um and so i think part of the reason why i'm a primary school teacher is that i want to continue this sense of joy in, in learning mm. um because, you know, learning can be great. You know, I try to keep learning myself. Right. Um, yeah. And so the, I think probably my experience, my own experience of being in primary school have influenced the joy that I want to create with my team in, in, in mm. developing a, an experience for children in our school. The involvement from all parties must be so high if, if joy is one of the key key things at the school. I mean, the... As you're saying that, my question is why? Why shouldn't it be joyful? Yeah. You know, why? You know, why is this, Why shouldn't a school? You know, shouldn't all schools be joyful? You know, it seems obvious that joy in in childhood is key, and joy and yeah. happiness. Um, and with those with those factors in play, then children are more likely to want to be in school, and more likely want to learn and feel safe. That's it from us at the We Are The University podcast. If you like what you're hearing, don't forget to head on over to the iTunes store, Spotify or Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts from, and give us a five-star rating. I'm Nick Safbell, and see you next week.